All right, turn in your Bible with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. It's right after the Corinthian books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Ephesians. My favorite way to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is Gentiles eat pork chops. It's my favorite way to remember that. So this is the E in the Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, close your eyes for a second and think. What is a place you've been to, a concert you heard, a moment, anything, a memory, where you can say, I knew that the Lord was good? Maybe you saw the beach for the first time and the waves were rolling in and you were like, wow, this is amazing. Maybe you're in a concert and the sound hits you. What's a time when you can just think of that you know, wow, the Lord is good? Or you know the Lord is, the Lord, there's a God. Maybe that's as far as you got. Somebody created this. Okay. All right, open your eyes. Joe Gerwitz. Hey, Joe. Tell us your, your, what, what do you think of? I'm using Joe because Joe is super smart and he's tough to be able to take it right now because I didn't plan this ahead of time with Joe. So I'm showing you, and so everybody's good to answer. It's good to talk today, right? Joe's going to lead us off because I know he can do it. You're our leadoff batter. I told my little league team, I had a kid, uh, he was the first batter, and I said, I pulled him aside. I said, listen, second grade. I said, do you know why you're the first batter? And he said, no. I said, because you're brave, because you can hit the ball, because I know you can do it, and it will show everybody else that it's going to be okay. And if it doesn't go well, I know you're going to come back to the dugout still excited to help the team. And he was like, okay. <laughs> second grade, well, man, we start them early. So, Joe, you're our, you're our leadoff batter. If you're brave, I know you can do it. Um, I, I think probably the first time was when um, my grandfather was passing away. Hmm. Just the peace and calm that came over all of us at that time. Wow. Wow. Man, we let off with a home run. Joe, that was, that's profound. That was profound what you just said. That's, man, that's amazing. Um, wow, great. Anybody else have anything that you, Maureen? Wow. Awesome. Praise God. Profound also. Did anybody have a, a thought of a nature or something in nature that came to you? Okay, Michael. Uh, yeah, the power of God in nature. I was uh, touring Yosemite Park out in California <coughs> with my brother, and we were having a repost about 9,000 feet up, and off in the distance was they call it half, half moon or something. I forget the name. Half dome. Half dome. Mm. Uh, it's roughly, you know, maybe a third of a sphere on top of this mountain, wow. about 12,000 feet up. But also at the base of one of the mountains, there's a lake, one of the highest lakes in all of California. Wow. And the guy's out there in a sailboat sailing around, and we're, my brother and I are just kind of sitting there watching all this, and it was very moving. Now, another existential moment for me, talk about concerts, was... I saw Bruce Springsteen once playing Born to Run. Yeah. And he rocked I believe the auditorium. Hey, everybody, everybody with their lighters. Yeah. There's something about seeing the mountains where you're in awe of God's creation. There's something about seeing thousands of people together unified in something. Right? That's just, there is something about that. We're like, wow, Lord. Now, hopefully the worship's not fully toward you know, the, the boss or whoever, but... You know, it should be toward the Lord. But still, even in those moments, you can be like, wow, this is, it's awe-inspiring, isn't it? That's true. Anybody else have anything you want to share? Yeah, Frank.
That's awesome. That your dad actually uh, prophesied. Wow. And he said, someone here is struggling with their daughter. And he didn't even know what was going on at the time. He said, I, I see you dancing in the weekend. And, uh, you know, when, when, I got, when Heather got married, that was all that went through my mind when we did the father-daughter dance. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Praise the Lord. It, you know, the, the song we sang, or and or, God has proved yes. who he is. Yes. But that's the one that came to mind. Man, praise God. That's good. That's really good. Here's why we're doing this exercise. Number one, I want everybody to talk. We're going to talk today. Less sermon, more teaching, more interactive. So that's okay. Everybody good? okay with that? It'll be good. Um, best one you've ever heard. I'm telling you, it's going to be the best. <laughs> Second reason, though, is sometimes we come to church, sometimes we come to the Word of God, and we forget the awe of who He is, and we replace it with the religion of what we're doing right now. It's not a great place to live. So as we come to the Word of God today, let's not just read the words, let's remember the awe of who God is, of what He's done in our lives, of His salvation, and it's like dancing with your daughter. I can't imagine that. And it sounds like the most horrible thing I've ever heard in my life at this point. My, my daughters, they're too little. They will never get married. It's not allowed. <laughs> but I'm just saying, at a wedding, dancing with your daughter, seeing the goodness of God at a deathbed, being filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing the mountains, being in a concert, even some of these things we'd call secular opportunities, like the concert where you're like, wow, you can see still God's goodness. That's an amazing thing. And as we come to the Word of God today, we're going to just be in awe of Him and who He is and what He's done, because more than religion, God has called us to relationship with Himself, not just doing the right thing. And we get into these modes of just going through life, and it's exhausting. How much better to come to Jesus? Amen? All right, let's read in Ephesians chapter 1. So a little background. Church in Ephesus has a giant uh, temple cult there where they worship pagan gods in this city. It's not in the church, it's in the city, and that's where the church is planted in this place called Ephesus. Um, there's a lot of challenges in that because in pagan traditions, you are worshiping if you hire the temple prostitute and sleep with her. That is worship. So imagine two weeks ago, that's what you thought life was like, and being a good religious person equaled hiring the temple prostitute. That's, that was what you thought. Then God radically saved you. And now you're hearing about the grace of God and his favor. And the apostle is writing you saying, don't do that anymore. That's not okay because Lord, the Lord has made a much better way. But the church is wrestling with these things because that, that's what the context was for this church coming out of these false religions. And beyond that too, people who are militantly against them because they're taking away business from that false religion. So the idol worshiper guy, the idol maker guy, is really upset with the church because nobody's buying idols. We've got to stop that. This is my business you're messing with. You know, so there's, there's conflict that's happening in, in throughout Ephesus, and so Paul is writing this letter to encourage the church. Here's how he starts. Let's read in chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that, we might be, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. At the end of that giant thing, can you hear, like the... Again, do you know Paul wrote this in the original Greek? This is one sentence that all that that we just read is one sentence. Because Paul's just, here it is. He just turned on the fire hose, didn't he? Of stuff. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. Let's break it down a little bit. Starting here in verse 3, we just read 3 and 4. The blessing that God has for us. Does anything stand out to you in verse 3 and 4 of things that are surprising to you? of things that you would have maybe not expected to be in there, especially given the context of Ephesus, or if you know maybe even Paul's history a little bit. This guy Paul, he's an apostle. He's not always an apostle. He was a Pharisee, chief of Pharisees, really. Highly educated. One of the smartest guys around. He was commissioned with purging the Jewish people from, purging the church from this Jewish people. And so he was a persecutor. He was overseeing executions of Christians. He was saved by Christ, having encountered the risen Lord on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. That was what he was doing, and God radically saves him. So now he's writing this letter. Anything surprising to you? Anything stand out to you? Blameless. Blameless. Yeah, that's a big word, isn't it? And holy. Now, if you're a Jew reading this, you have a different understanding from those words than you do if you came out of the temple cult. So somebody who thought it was holy to hire the temple prostitute is coming about this in a different way. But blameless, that one kind of, that's cross both ways, isn't it? Because being blameless is different. Even if your idea of holiness is not yet fully biblical, you can't get away from that blameless word, can you? What does it mean to be holy? Pure, yeah. We tend to use it, though, in a moral sense. Right? Be holy, morally pure. True, we're supposed to walk in the ways. But holiness set apart. It's an attribute of God. It's God himself is holy, so everything that's in his presence around him that he touches becomes holy, meaning set apart for a particular purpose. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, my, when my grandfather passed away, uh, he um, had an old sledgehammer, a little short sledgehammer, that became mine, and so I got it from my grandfather. And I use that sledgehammer, and every time I see it, I think of my grandfather, right? But if you're a builder for your whole life, and then you finish and they give you a gold-plated hammer, you still remember things, don't you? But that hammer is going to be proudly displayed on the wall. And it's set apart for the special purpose of remembering. It's not set apart for crushing concrete. So both hammers are useful. Both hammers make me remember things. But one hammer is for crushing concrete, and I say, oh, Grandpa, thanks. Yeah, we're doing the work. The other hammer, though, has a unique purpose that it's set apart for. You wouldn't use that for common things. Does that make sense? Um, this, is, this is one of the ways you teach your children about their private parts. Not trying to be funny, even your body has distinct uses. So your hands do things that your eye would not do. So your hand, I'm going to mix this up. You don't try to do that with your eyeball. It will hurt you. Don't do that. And little kids, they don't know, though, do they? Because they try to mix things with their eyeball. It's, it's, what's wrong with them? you got to teach them. And this is like the church. They're being taught of what's holy. You are set apart. How do you become holy? Again, it's not moral. We're not talking about moral holiness in terms of I'm better than those evil people. We tend to use holy that way, but holy doesn't mean that. It means set apart. How do you become holy? 
Through Christ. That's right, through the Holy Spirit. He has made you. Everything he touches becomes holy. His presence is there with Moses. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Moses walks up and he goes, what in the world? First thing he hears, this is holy ground. Take off your, your shoes. Uh, okay. Because you come, whenever you come into God's presence, his, his holiness affects you. Does, I mean, this is why when the high priests went into the most holy place, they wore bells and had ropes tied to them. Because if they die in God's presence because they witness his holiness, then they can drag him out. That used, that's what happened. It's amazing, isn't it? Even John in Revelation, John the Apostle, writing the book of Revelation, three times falls down before God in his holiness, almost as one like dead. At one point, he falls down before an angel, and he's so confused, he starts trying to worship the angel because he's so bright. He doesn't know what's happening, and the angel goes, oh, no, 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 that way. Turn that way. And then he's, oh, he sees Christ, and now his worship is just coming out of him because he's so overwhelmed by God's holiness. And ready? Christ, who is holy, has put that holiness on you, that you would be called before the foundation of the earth to be holy, set apart for God's purpose. How many of us just assume that we're just a concrete crusher guy instead of God's prize of holiness that he set you apart for? It's amazing. And beyond that, blameless. Now that word's moral. Blameless. But I... If you knew, but all that, I'm not, but in Christ. Ready? This is the truth of the gospel. In Christ, when you died by faith, when Christ died, you died with him by faith. Paul says it this way in Galatians, that I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But now this life I live, I, life, I live through Christ who enables me and strengthens me. And so our lives are, are rooted up with Christ that we are joined with him in union with him and that Christ's own righteousness is applied to us so that we can say, I was not blameless, but now in Christ, not only am I holy and set apart for God's purpose, but I am also blameless because I'm in him, the blameless one. That when the father looks on us in judgment, he doesn't see all that stuff. He sees all that as applied to the cross that's done, that account's paid. And now instead... We stand in the blamelessness, the righteousness of Christ himself, clothed in his own robes. How amazing. You know, when Joseph got sold into slavery and thrown into the pit, do you know why the brothers did that? Do you remember? He had a dream about, you're going to bow to me. They didn't like that very much. But what did the dad do? What did the dad do for Joseph? He gave him a coat, special coat of many colors, very fancy. But in the Middle Eastern tradition, if you clothe someone, it means that you're choosing them as the heir apparent. So clothing Joseph didn't just mean, oh, I'm giving you a special prize. Clothing Joseph meant, even though you're not the oldest, I'm setting you over your brothers. You will be the inheritor of the promise, of the covenant, of all of the things that I have, and they will serve you. And the brothers did not like that. They had to get rid of that guy. So they threw him in a pit, sold him to slavery, and what did they do with his coat, with his inheritance guarantee? Soaked it in the blood of a lamb. Said, oh, Father, he died. Inheritance is over. Who's it going to be now? That's, that's what happened. What happens to us? Ready? Clothed in righteousness. Not just, oh, you're made nice. You're clothed as a joint heir with Christ who has conquered the nations to whom Everything is due to whom all glory and honor is, is ascribed at the name of Jesus. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And God saw fit before the foundation of the world to make you wholly set apart for himself. And also to clothe you in righteousness, that you would be blameless before him and a joint heir with Christ. And his, his you're his, you're his prize. That's incredible. It's rich, isn't it? What else do you see? Things that surprise you. Before the foundation of the world. Okay, I need three volunteers. Wes, I'm voluntoling you. You're voluntold. Can you come? 
Do you mind? This is Wes. Isn't he great? Christian, will you come? Christians, look at these guys. They're awesome, aren't they? Okay, welcome. You're going to be the father. Is that okay? Okay, you stand here. You're going to stand in the middle. You're going to represent the father. Okay? This is Wes. He's great. Christian, you're going to be, um, do you want to be the Holy Spirit or Jesus? Holy Spirit. Okay, you go here. There you go. Okay, who would like to be, who would like to be Jesus? Anybody? There's a trend here of age, so. Huh? Huh? Michaela? Come on. All right, Michaela's going to be Jesus. Well done. Michaela, you're going to go here. Okay, aren't they lovely? Look at them, they're great. Okay, here's the Trinity. They're in perfect harmony together. They are without need. So let me explain that to you. They don't need you. They don't need me. They don't need the earth. They don't need it. They're perfect. They are one, and I don't fully understand how that is. Because they're distinct in persons, but it's one God. They're one together. When they create, they have one will. They're one. And they're seated, pretend with me, at the table before the foundation of the earth, before creation. Right? They know everything that will happen. And <laughs> so Jesus is here. What is it going to cost the Father, the Trinity, to rescue a people that he creates who rebel against him? Because this God is also a legal God. And he knows if you come against the king, the king together, what's the punishment? It's death. There is no way around it. So he's decided now we're going to create the world. Let us make the earth and all that's in it. And so Jesus speaks out. The word of God goes forth. Let there be light. And somehow in the mix of this, Creation happens just by that word. Light, boom. Water separated. Earth formed. Animals come. All this stuff. And before the foundation of the earth, God knew that to rescue his people who are going to rebel against him, it will require what? So imagine with me for a moment that to rescue Ron Chenault, the father looks at Jesus, and what does he say? What does he say? He says, I want him more than I value you. More than your life. Bear with me. Just this, this, we can have theological discussions about things. Okay? Bear with me. To claim him, I need you to die. What does, the, what does the son say? Not my will, but yours be done. This, this exchange is incredible. Before the foundation of the world now, for the rascals, the rebellious, who are going to have treason toward God, the Godhead decides together, we will rescue them. I, I want them. And... In perfect submission, somehow, the son says, not my will, but yours. And so what happens? Here comes the son, down into the junk, to live, incarnate, fully God, fully man. But he's here amongst us. He's with his people who hate him. He's with his people who clamor to come get everything that they can get out of him, healing and all this stuff, not realizing that he's going to change their whole existence. But they just want what they can get. And we see that all the time because after the feeding of the 5,000, where do those people go? As soon as he doesn't give them free food anymore, they're gone. They're just there for what they can get out of things. Even the disciples struggling. Even Judas, imagine walking with God all that time, being with him. And he loved the money more than he loved Jesus. How incredible. And he's going to be dece deceived. He's going to be handed over to the Romans by a kiss. Incredible. So what does the father do? The father point to anybody. Okay, Bethany is mom. Let's go. Points to Bethany. says, I want Bethany. 
The son said, I have not lost one sheep that the father gave me. So who gets dispatched? Holy Spirit. Okay, Bethany, you got to come up. Okay, go get Bethany, bring her. She's going to come up. Why? Because the father has desired her. From the foundation of the earth, you were predestined to be his, to be united with Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes and brings and unites Bethany to Christ. Here we come. Okay, you're going to do the uniting. So now, Christ is going to die on the cross. As Christ dies, you can just kind of put your arm around Bethany. Christ dies on the cross and pays the punishment for sin. And her record of debt, of debt, of sin, is applied to Christ on the cross. And who, who dishes out the vengeance upon that? The Father does. Because Christ ceases to be just the Son anymore. Colossians tells us he becomes sin on our behalf. He's the object of God's wrath. He is everything that's outside the covenant and everything for which the flood, think about Noah and the flood and the violence of how God hates sin. Think about Jericho falling down. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah and, and fiery stones raining from heaven gets poured out on Christ. And then in faithfulness, God raises them. And here come Holy Spirit. Raises now Christ to life. And when Christ is raised, somebody else is raised too. It's us. So now, turn around. You turn here. Holy Spirit, Bethany, you come here. Holy Spirit, you come here. He's uniting them. Who does the Father see? Jesus. And what has he earned? Everything. The train of his robe and people in it who the Holy Spirit has applied to them. And now where does, where does Christ go? He's still in a body, right? He's going to be forever in a body. Where does he go? So what does the father say? He says, son, come sit at my right hand. So come on over. You stay. So now he's at the right hand. Forever doing what? Interceding. For who? So we get this idea that Christ is just seated, hanging out. He's playing Xbox. He's playing the new PlayStation game. He's got PlayStation 900 already. <laughs> because he's eternal, right? He's still playing Mario Kart on Nintendo 64 just for fun. But he's interceding for Bethany. And what is, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He got dispatched now from the Godhead to come back and make Bethany look more like Christ every day. He enables her. He gives her strength. He picks her up. Everything the Son intercedes to the Father, guess what? It's going to happen. Because that same word made the earth. So whatever he says, it's going to go. And that gets applied to you and the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Where's his place at the table? So come on over. Bethany, you're going to come with him. All right? Now you are really in Christ. You probably should be on the other side. United to him. I won't make you walk over there. <laughs> United him, but this, you're, you're seated with him in heavenly places. How is that possible? I'm still here. My foot still hurts. I hurt it, my toe two days ago, and Jesus didn't heal it yet. I don't know if he loves me. But you're here. And he's ever, think, he's ever interceding for you. He's still serving. Who, who is he serving? Serving you, the God of the cosmos. Thank you. You guys can sit down. You did a great job. Great job. Thank you. The God of the cosmos is still serving his people. Hey, doesn't it blow your mind? But see, I, I can't get this image on my head of, could you imagine them sitting, talking together, and the Father saying, I, I want them. I've already chosen them by name. And the son saying, I'll do it. <laughs> Whatever it costs, I'll do it. And looking across and saying, I trust you. Because he died. You know, he, he really died for us. And he really rose again. It's amazing, isn't it? That is you. It's your identity is in him. You're never going to be God. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. You don't become Christ. But you're united with him. And our hearts are forever in worship with him. We get to know him and have communion with him. And what happens in our lives? We go through these dry seasons, don't we, where I just feel far away from God. And that's real. That happens, doesn't it? 
but then we, remem we remember the reality of the gospel. I am seated at that same table with him now. It's why we come to communion. I mean, Jesus didn't use a table for just nothing. He eagerly desired to eat that meal with the disciples. And we get to participate in that with communion, to come be with him, to eat, to drink his blood, to eat his body, to have a partaking of him, that we're in him, we remember him, we know our salvation, we know our hope. As he is, we'll be like him. He received the body, he was raised. I know I'm going to be raised. I know I'm going to have a body that will last forever. I know I'm going to glorify him all the time. I know sin will be eradicated from my life. I'll perfectly live out all the things that he's called me to. Because I'm not just a hammer to break concrete. I'm set apart. How cool is that? That's cool. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's continue. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace we've been talking about lately is unmerited favor. To the praise of his glorious grace that's just poured out on us. Paul uses that word of lavished lavishes his, his gifts upon us. What does it mean to be adopted? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That's amazing. So now, I, I have a friend who's, I have a friend who adopted a, a girl, and um, he, he got her from the hospital room, from the labor and delivery room. He had this little baby. So from the moment she was born, he was in their family. But she looks different than the family. And there's still something, you know, it, there's, there's trauma, if you will, of just life. So even though from the hospital room, from the delivery room, she was already in the adopted family, she's still wrestling with identity, and everybody would, right? We all do. So she's watching a movie. She's young. She's watching a movie with my friend, and they had a scene about adoption in the, in the movie. And in the, in the scene, they went to the hospital, and they received the baby. And so she said, she said, Daddy, is that how I came into your family? And he looked at her and he said, daughter, our family. There's this idea in life. Sometimes that we hear from God and we know we're adopted. We know we're united with Christ. We know he's given us his righteousness. We know that he loves us. We know he set us apart. But then we say, Lord, is that how I came to be part of your family? And I want you today to hear the whisper of the father say, our family. <laughs> You're not on the outside trying to get in. You are already there. And that is so freeing to be able to just know him and, sit and stand and love him in his glorious grace. This is the grace that Paul is talking about. It's not just the grace of if you do the right thing, if you measure up, if you earn having this last name, you're going to be part of the family. It's not that. It's he earned it. He brought you. You are united with Christ. You are applied by the Holy Spirit. He sealed you. You belong to him. And you are in the family. And your name has already changed. And now it's our family. This is also why racism cannot stand in our world. Cannot in the kingdom. Not just because it's every tribe and nation who come and worship God together. But because we cannot stand in our family together. And have people that are in the cheap seats doesn't work. And that is so freeing. If our world knew, if St. Louis knew the hope of Christ resurrected, the hope of being united in him, the hope of adoption, boy, wouldn't it change everything? It would change everything. Thankfully, the Lord has, by his grace, given a people, it's you, it's us, to declare it to everyone. To the praise, verse 6, of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in, verse 6, what does it say? The beloved. You are beloved by God. 
beloved by God. You're not the worst son. You didn't just barely make it in. You were beloved by God because he called you by name from before the foundation of the earth to set you apart, to make you holy, to make you blameless in Christ, and to adopt you to be his. We don't serve God because we want to try to earn his favor. If I come to church, if I pray, if I'm nice, if I help people, if I give money to the poor, if I do all those things, then I know, man, you know, God's going to really, he's going to help me be a good dad, and he's going to watch over my kids, and probably my kids, you know, they'll get into a good college if I really do well. And maybe if I do extra good, I'm going to have a good marriage. Maybe if I do extra good, I'm going to have, you know, that promotion at work. Maybe, maybe if I really work hard, I'll get people's respect. That would be nice. Or I come to church and people are like, oh, he's a holy one. But we, we fall prey to all those things, don't we? I do. We all do. The reality is you are beloved by God. You are in the beloved. You are beloved. He really loves you. And sometimes in this American idea, we think, if I don't earn it, I'm never going to get it. Stop trying to earn from God what he's already given you. Just be his. Then out of that gratitude and out of sonship, out of already being seated with him in heavenly places, now everything we do reflects his kingdom and his glory. And we speak grace to everyone around us. How can we do that? Because he's enabled us, because the Holy Spirit's with us, because he's interceding for us, because he's called us to be his. Suddenly out of an identity of being the beloved, everything you do becomes set apart and exciting and good and for him, doesn't it? Man, it's good to live that way. It's good to live that way. It starts with realizing that God himself, his grace is better than our earning potential. He lavished this, verse 8, upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Anything strike you there? Anything that you think, wow, this is, wow. Never heard that before. And you're his forever. Forever. You're secure. You're not going to be unadopted. Is that, is that good news? He's not going to unadopt you. You're his. This things in heaven, things on earth, united in him. Paul, Paul will go on to talk about this later, so I'm, going, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But our hope is not just flittering away in heaven. He's coming again. He's coming for the renewed earth the new heavens, the new earth, where God dwells with us forever. And we actually live on the earth with him in renewed bodies. We have a hope that's far beyond just escaping. And that becomes really what we want. It's just escape from our problems, escape from our bills, escape from our conflict. I want to escape all that stuff and just be where things are good. But the reality is he even showed us in the incarnation. He comes down and makes it good. That is amazing news for us, excellent news. It's beyond compare because it means that there's hope for us today, even in my yard that refuses to grow grass. Why will it not grow grass there? It should grow grass there. I want it to be right. I want it to be nice. I want it to go. It won't do it. I'm using that silly example for any area of our life that we're looking for the fruitfulness of God. And we want good things to grow here. Why won't it grow here? I don't understand, but there's a day coming when he is going to return, and everything. It's like seeing the mountains. It's like being in those concerts. It's like standing before God, full of the Holy Spirit all the time. It's like dancing in a wedding and eating the marriage supper of the Lamb as we have this intimate, full communion with God, even in renewed bodies. How amazing. I keep coming back to the Word because it's just, it's awe-inspiring to think of what God is actually doing. It's awe-inspiring, and you can't even, how do you even imagine it? And our call now is to start living in the reality of that vision instead of the escape vision. Because our proclivity is to hide. Our proclivity is to escape. Our proclivity is to avoid. But instead, God has called us to something much better. 
where we are in communion with him and toward a hope that really will change our earth. It's good, isn't it? So good. So here we come. We're reading the scripture together. What's, what's burning in your heart? What's the Lord saying to you? What are things that are coming to your mind now as we're coming to the scripture here? Is it just religion walking? Yeah, Mike. When you look at the whole plan, you see the inclusiveness that God had, a desire to bring us in to this dynamic eternal plan. So make he known to us the mystery of his will, mm. lavishing on us wisdom and insight. Amen. What he wants us to be is like Christ. He's given us the mind of Christ. He's given us the gift of revelation. Yes. That we might know the eternal purposes of God Amen. that were determined before the foundations of the earth when the Godhead in perfect harmony mm. made this plan. Yes. It was before one thing came into creation, mm -hmm. a glorious plan that they devised. Yeah. In the perfect dance of the Trinity, they lavished this glorious plan that was inclusive of us. Yeah. They gave us a mind to understand it. Amen. A heart to burn for it. And then as we can look at this, they brought us into a new adoption. Yes. So that we wouldn't be on the outside, but that we would be Amen. sons and daughters of God. Amen. Full rightful heirs. So good. For all of this, which is the new heavens. So good. And the new earth. Yeah. And as Jeff was saying, that in all of this, that God would unite all things in Christ. Mm -hmm. Unite all things. Everything would be summarized in Christ. Yes. So everything that's broken, to yes. use your point, racism, mm -hmm. evil, sin, the influence of the devil, yeah. a broken world in which we live, it will be made right in Christ. Amen. It will be united in Christ. Amen. It will come into fullness Amen. in Jesus, which is the ultimate intentions of God, Amen. that he would have a people just like him mm -hmm. in the new heavens and the new earth where glory and praise and happiness and sweet society yes. would be all of ours for all eternity. Amen. It will happen. Amen. It will happen Amen. in Christ. It will not be thwarted. God put his name on it. It's he sealed it with the Holy Spirit. That's right. And he cannot fail. Cannot because fail. the Holy Spirit is not a loser Amen. in history. Amen. He is a winner. Amen. Praise God. And our part in that is giving God glory. We glorify him in everything we do. Amen. Doesn't it burn in you? Doesn't it rise in you? Isn't it so much better than just... How many times have you read Ephesians 1? Yeah, okay. Praise his grace, lavish, great. Move on. It I'm late for work. It seems to me that this passage is also addressing a persistent question or conundrum in the church. I've seen it, you know, visiting various churches, and that is, it seems like there's a question whether some people believe you can lose your salvation, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we believe that, but mm -hmm. se seemingly my understanding visiting various churches is there are a lot of people that do believe you can lose your salvation in Christ in, mm -hmm. in eternity. And this passage, it seems to me, is saying it's very clear that you're sealed, that you're bound mm -hmm. to Christ True. as an eternal yeah. situation. Yeah, Paul uses the words, you become a new creation. But I'll tell you this. If you need an algorithm in your life to determine how much you can sin before, you know, God gets angry, like, like think of every kid in youth group. So, you know, if they get their, their a girlfriend or a boyfriend, every kid in youth group wants to know, like, how far can we go before things get, you know, I'm in trouble here. So I'm being honest with you. It's a lot of, that's what, that's a big question. If you got to have an algorithm, do you really know him? Do you really know him? If you're trying to figure out what you can get by with, you're trying to earn your salvation. You're not walking in this grace. It's time to stop and say, Lord, show me, reveal to me the sin of my own heart that I can repent and know you. Lord, I want to know Jesus. I want to submit to you. I want, to, I want my life to be wrapped up in you. I want to be a part of this plan in the fullness of all time. I, I want to know you. I'll tell you what, you encounter Jesus you're, you're changed. Your whole life is different. You see colors for the first time. It's, it's, you, you can't come and try to have an algorithm for God anymore. 
Because you sin and immediately the Holy Spirit impresses on you. You're not being like Christ. And immediately in your heart, oh, Lord, forgive me. I come to you. And the reality is, you know, we have this idea that we'll get better and stronger as Christians. That's true. You do get better and stronger. You should sin less the more mature Christian, Christian you are. But we're, we still sin. People still fall. Being a really mature Christian is not always doing everything perfect. It's that when you fail, you come immediately to Jesus. You're more mature in how quickly you come to his grace. You're more mature in how quickly you come to him. You're more mature in how, how we just live in the reality of being with him all the time. And I'm saying that as, as we are being conformed to look more like him and resisting sin, because one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So we resist sin, don't we? But you still, we're not out of the flesh yet. Just the real discussions, right, of real things. Let's take just a minute. We're going to pray now. Last couple minutes here. Let's, let's come to the table, actually. Sorry. I'm, I'm running out of time. Let's come to the table. Why did we do this exercise today? We've been talking about grace. And it's my desire to impress upon us the lavish, immeasurable grace of God. It's, it's him, his character, his graciousness, the love with which he loves us. It's immeasurable, immeasurable. And I don't want us to lightly come to the table and just eat the bread and think, oh, you know, check that box. But instead to come to him and say, Lord, in light of this revelation, in light of knowing what you have done, in light of remembering Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection, in light of your grace upon me, in light of my adoption as your son, I'm coming to the table not eking by to try to earn it. Hey, Lord, uh, can I eat with you if maybe I, um, you know, you saw that I did the dishes for my wife, so we're good, right? We, and we think that way. You know, my, my family, this changed a little bit when I was growing up, but my family originally when... Uh, in the Italian side, at least. My, well, that's another story. Anyway, the Italian family used to be that with my great-great-grandfather, he would sit at the table for, like, Thanksgiving, let's say, and invite people to come eat with him. And they would do business at the table. The women always ate last. The kids always ate after the women. And unless you were invited to the table, you dared not go in the room. That patriarchal idea of, and the patriarchy is not bad in the sense of, Fathers need to be fathers. And that word gets thrown around a lot in our culture nowadays. But that idea of the sense of like, you know, ruling the family to the exclusion of everyone. And Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray, Abba, Father, pray, pray Daddy. Knowing our adoption as sons, that you are at the table with him. And now as we get to eat this meal, we remember Jesus Christ, knowing that in union with him, we are seated with him in heavenly places. He is really with us by the Holy Spirit. We are really with him. We are really in him. We are his people adopted to be his children. And we've been called in to be able to do business with him at the table. And ready? He loves us. You're the beloved in him. And so as we come to this table, we're going to remember Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't know Jesus especially in light of all these things I'm saying, do not eat this meal because God is not casual about it. You can't just check the box with God. If you're not in Christ Jesus in union with him, knowing that he has forgiven you of your sins because of his death and resurrection, if you have not bowed the knee to him, if you're still trying to do an algorithm with God, don't eat this bread. The Lord will not take it kindly. But if you know him, come with full rights as sons and daughters to sit at his table. If you know that there's some business that you need to do with him, if you disobeyed something before you come to the Father and start eating the meal, take a minute. We're going to examine ourselves. Lord, forgive me. And I'm telling you right now, you're beloved. He'll forgive you. Because we are beloved in him. Amen? Let's take just a minute and examine ourselves before we eat this bread. If you prayed and asked the Lord for, for forgiveness, know for certain 
Because of Christ, he forgives us. You are forgiven. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said that this was his body, which was broken for us, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's eat this bread remembering Jesus. He's our hope. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. You are his. Let's drink this remembering Jesus. Please pray with me. Eternal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for this grand plan to include us. We are not worthy, but you have made us holy and set us apart. We were blamed and blameful and blaming others, but you made us blameless. We were outside, we were your enemies. We were against you, but you adopted us as your children. Your grace, God, is so perfect. Lord, your plan is so perfect, your power is so perfect, your call is so perfect. So for every person here watching, every person here today, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would, by your Holy Spirit, remind us now. Remind us of our adoption, remind us of your power, remind us of your call, remind us of your grace. Remind us, Lord, that you sing over us and rejoice over us. Remind us, God, that you've made us the beloved. Thank you, Father. Lord, everything we do, we want to do it to glorify you. Enable and strengthen our hands, not to try to earn your love, but because of your love, to do great things for you. Lord, for Chesterfield and the surrounding cities, for St. Louis, for Missouri, for the United States, and for your world, we want to change the world for you. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we submit our lives before you and, you, and we say, Lord, let us burn brightly to glorify you. Lord, fill us with your spirit afresh, with power, God, that we might remember and look forward with hope, seeing all that you have done and knowing your peace to do great things for you and your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, we praise you. May the call of, of the Father resound in your heart. May the rule of the Son establish you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit apply his sanctification to your life that you would know his peace. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see men on Wednesday.